God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John starts by saying, Beloved, love one another. And as I said on Thursday, this is really the main point of the passage. John wants his readers to love one another. And if you get nothing else out of this message today, if the whole rest of the time I, I totally confuse you and lose you, you don't even know what I'm talking about, get this one point, Christians. Love each other. Christians are to love one another. But John doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, Christians, be loving. He actually gives us several reasons in this passage why Christians should love one another. And on Thursday, we went over three of those reasons. The first reason why Christians should love one another is because our God is love. And secondly, love is the fruit or the natural result of being born again or, or belonging to God. If our God is love and he is our father and we belong to him, then we should love like God loves. And when we love in this way, that love becomes the evidence that we truly belong to God. When we see the love of God manifested in our lives and, and working through us and we're displaying that love to others, this can give us assurance that we are truly saved because we look like God our Father. And today we're going to continue with, with more reasons why Christians should love one another. But actually, I shouldn't say more reasons because we're really going to focus mainly on one reason today why Christians should love one another. And that reason is this. Christians should love each other because God showed his love for us by sending Jesus to die for our sins. Christians should love each other because not only because God is love, but because God did something about his love. Because God acted on his love. And God demonstrates his love for us through real, concrete, loving actions toward us. John says in verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested to us. Manifested basically means a, a display or a show of a quality or feeling by one's acts or appearance. It's, it's to demonstrate something. It's to show something. Other translations use the word revealed. By this the love of God was revealed. The NIV says this is how God showed his love. And love for God is not only a feeling. Love for God is not just a matter of talk. He doesn't just say, I love you, which he does. He says, I love you. But he doesn't stop there. God actually shows his love for us through action. The love which God has in himself was, was expressed in the action of sending Jesus to die for us. And this action actually proves that God love us, loves us. So if you have any doubts that God loves you today, then, then look at the cross, and that should clear it up. Look at what God the Father was willing to give up for you so that you could have life. This is how much God loves us. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, But when this kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, 
but in accordance with his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The love of God appeared when Jesus Christ appeared on the earth. And Jesus Christ is the tangible, the visible, the real expression of God's love. So let me walk through this verse in a little more detail. And we're going to look specifically about at what um, God did to show us his love. First thing I want you to notice is that God gave us his son. By this, the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent his only son into the world. John 3.16 echoes this same truth, and it's actually pretty similar to this, this verse that we're studying today. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And here we see that God's love is giving. It's generous. It's gracious. But not only did God uh, give like as if he just gave anything, he gave his only son. And what God gave shows us the depths of his love for us. Now, I think some of you know I, I used to volunteer in a, a ministry to the homeless, and we used to get clothes donated to us all the time to give out on the streets. And it was really a blessing. I mean, we'd have stacks and stacks of clothes to rent storage space at one point. Um, and, you know, the people really needed it. Uh, but I, I don't remember any time ever getting anything other than used clothes. I never got any, anything brand new. And this is normal, and it's still a blessing. You know, if I'm going to go give my clothes away to Goodwill or to a ministry or something like that, I'm probably going to look in my closet. You know, I'm going to say, oh, I don't wear that shirt anymore. Or, this one over here is getting worn out, or I'm too fat for these pants now. I'll just box these up, and, and we'll, we'll give those away, you know, instead of throwing them in the garbage. And it's good. It's a blessing. But we don't normally go out and, and buy brand-new designer clothes and, and give them away on the streets. And we don't usually give our best and most valuable possessions away. We treasure those. We guard those. We put them in a safe. We keep them. But, and we kind of give away what we feel that, that we can spare. But that's exactly the opposite of what God the Father did when he gave us Jesus. The Father gave the thing that was most precious to him. He gave his only son. And we can see in the scriptures how precious Jesus is to the Father. Matthew three seventeen, the Father said of the Son, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. John 3.35 says the Father loves the Son and has entrusted all things to his hand. John 5.20 says for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. John 10.17, for this reason the Father loves me. This is Jesus speaking. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. And in John 17.24, Jesus prays to the Father and says, you loved me. Before the foundation of the world. And as we talked about on Thursday, the love of the Father for the, for the love of the Son is an eternal love. And God the Father not only gave, but he gave the thing that was most precious to him. This is how much God loves us. I just want to think about that, that point for another moment. I mean, if God the Father 
loves God the Son that much with everything, but yet he was willing to give up the Son for us? I mean, how much does that show that God loves us? And furthermore, the Bible points out that Jesus is God's only Son, His unique, one-of-a-kind Son. Bible teacher Stephen Lawson, he, I was, uh, was listening to uh, some of his teaching as I was, as I was preparing for this message, and uh, he made a comment about this that I, I would really want to share. He says this, It would have been amazing love if God had three or four sons and he picked one to give for us to die upon the cross. But God didn't have three sons. He only had one son. And to give that one son is to give everything. To give that one son is to hold nothing back. To give that one son is to give the greatest gift, to make the greatest sacrifice that God could have ever given. How many fathers here would give away your son? How many parents here would, would give up your child to suffering and to death for someone else's sake? I mean, what would that kind of sacrifice feel like? And I mean, who would, who would even do that? Who loves anyone more than their own children? Nothing is more precious, I think, to us than our children. Yet our Father in heaven was willing to make that sacrifice for us. Not only was he willing, but he actually did it because he loves us. And this is how much the Father loves us. So God's love is not only giving, it's not only generous, but it is also sacrificial. And we've already seen that in what I've, I've just said, but we see also this element of sacrificial love brought out really clearly when, when we look at the work which God the Father sent the Son to do, when we look at, when we look at the mission and the means by which um, God is going to accomplish that mission uh, which he sent the Son to accomplish. Let me explain this. John says in verse 10 that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I need to explain this word propitiation because it, it has to do with sacrificial love and I don't think it's really a word that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't remember at the time I was having coffee with someone or, or chatting with someone and the word propitiation came up. So uh, I think uh, I need to explain it. Let me just define it. Propitiation is the offering of a sacrificial gift which is intended to pacify or to calm someone's anger. When someone is propitiated, their wrath is turned away and their anger is pacified. Now, I don't know if that definition helps too much, so let me try to explain this with an illustration. Now, I'm going to use uh, an illustration um, that I think will help pr explain propitiation, but this illustration kind of falls short. I almost didn't even include it. It falls short because it doesn't properly represent the wrath of God. But um, I just want you to keep that in mind because after a little later after this, I'm going to explain a little more about God's wrath so we can have a proper understanding of it. But uh, just please keep that in mind as I give this illustration. So uh, I'm sure there's, there's probably some of you are, that are here listening online. Maybe you like to play baseball as a kid or, or some other sport. Maybe you even, even still like to do uh, things like that. 
We know sometimes when there's kids outside that are playing baseball or some other sport that involves throwing around, hitting around hard objects, that uh, sometimes windows in houses tend to get broken. Um, I think I might have did this in golf one time, but, uh, you know, never mind, I didn't say that. But uh, anyway, so for this illustration, I, I just want you to imagine that some kids are outside in their backyard, and uh, they're playing baseball. And so, of course, they, they hit a ball, and accidentally this ball goes through a neighbor's window. Now, this neighbor just happens to be sitting in front of this window. His dining table is set up in front of this window, and uh, he's eating his lunch peacefully. He's, he's drinking his, his soda, and uh, he's reading the paper, or maybe he's got his laptop, and he's, he's doing some work, or he's browsing the Internet. And all of a sudden, this baseball comes through the window and smashes the window, and glass flies everywhere, and his, his drink spills all over the place. And uh, the guy was already having a bad day, so now he, he's just furious. And he gets up, and he's screaming, and he comes outside, and he starts screaming at, at these kids. And, and uh, he said, what are you doing, you dumb kids? My window's broken. There's glass all over the place. My lunch is ruined. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a talk with your parents right now. So he goes up to the door. He knocks on the door. The parents come out, and he starts yelling at the kids' parents. What are you doing letting your kids outside play baseball? They just broke my window. There's glass everywhere. This guy's is just fuming mad. So, so the father of the kid, he, he says, he hears all this, and he says, Oh, my gosh, sir, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't realize that happened. They really should be more careful. And so he goes, the father goes, he gets all the children that are playing baseball. They all come together with the family, and they apologize. They tell the man, you know what, we are so sorry. We're going to make sure that your window gets fixed right away. We're going to pay for it. We're going to hire the, the workers. We'll just take care of everything. You don't have to worry about anything. And in fact, we're all going to come over right now. We're going to clean up that mess for you. And on top of that, we really just want you to know how sorry we are so uh, we're going to go out, we're going to buy you a $100 gift card to your favorite restaurant so that you can take your wife, you can take your family, and you can just have a nice dinner tonight because we're just really sorry for all your troubles. And as this man who was fuming mad hears all of this, he's standing there and he, he starts to calm down. And he's like, well, you know, that's really nice and, and I appreciate that and and uh, you know what, I, I, I accept that. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm sorry I got angry. And, and, um, and, you know, boys will be boys. And I know it was just a mistake. And they're just playing baseball. And, and this stuff happens. So you know what, I, I, I accept your offer. Don't worry. I, we're, we're good, you know. So the, men, the man shakes hands uh, with the father, with the boys who broke the window, gives the wife a hug. And the tension is resolved. The man's anger is pacified and he's calmed. His wrath is satisfied. So through, we see through this, this act of goodwill, the offering, the cleaning up the house, the paying for the new window, the treating him to dinner, through this offering, this man's wrath is satisfied and his anger is calmed and his wrath is, is turned away. His anger is turned away from this kid who broke his window. And that is propitiation. It is the offering of a gift which satisfies wrath and calms or pacifies anger. 
And now because this man is no longer angry, because his wrath and anger is satisfied, the tension between these neighbors is gone. And they can be reconciled and they can continue on in a good and friendly relationship. This is the idea of of propitiation. And what this verse is saying is that God the Father sent God the Son to be that sacrificial offering which satisfies the wrath and anger which was against us. Now that brings up a question. Whose wrath was it that Jesus was sent to pacify? Well, it was God's wrath. But now you might be thinking, wait a second, wait a second. I thought on Thursday and today, you've just been telling us that God is love. And uh, talking about all this love of God, where would this wrath come from? How can we have a God who is love, but yet he's angry, he's wrathful, he's vengeful? Well, let me talk about God's wrath a little bit. Yes, God is love, and God also has wrath. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God has wrath, according to the Scriptures. And the wrath of God is basically God's fierce anger against sin and evil. And he expresses this wrath in acts of judgment. Sometimes the Bible calls this the pouring out of God's wrath. Now, I explained on Thursday that God loves every single person, and he does. But there is one thing, not one person, there is one thing that God hates, and that is sin. And this is because God is perfectly holy. And because God is perfectly holy or morally pure, you could say, he cannot be neutral towards sin. Because God is perfectly just, he cannot let sin go unpunished. Sin, evil, unrighteousness, wickedness, all these things provoke God's wrath. But let me make some some nuances here that's going to help us better understand what God's wrath is like. Because God's wrath or his anger is a little bit different from ours. It's, it's not exactly like this man in the illustration. First, I want you to know that God's wrath is controlled. God never loses his temper. He never just flies off the handle. And, and this is the one way that, that God's wrath is different from the man who had his window broken. That man just kind of blew up, you know. Um, God's not like that. Like Pastor Joe uh, always says, you know, God of the Bible is not like Zeus up there want to throw lightning bolts at you. He's not just ready to punish you. And while sin does provoke God's wrath, God is also patient. He's forbearing, and he is always in control of his wrath and his anger. Secondly, God's wrath is always just. God's wrath is always fair, which means that whenever someone receives God's wrath, in whatever degree, whatever form that takes, they're getting exactly what they deserve. That person is getting justice. God will never punish someone more than they deserve. And thirdly, God's love and God's wrath do not contradict one another. They're not in tension with one another. Rather, God's wrath is actually his loving response to evil. Now remember... um, on Thursday, I mentioned this book called Delighting in the Trinity. I want to share something else with you from, from that book that I think will help explain this point. It says this, 
For all eternity, the father was loving his son, but never once was angry. Why is this? Because there was nothing to be angry with until Adam sinned in Genesis 3. So God's anger at evil from Genesis 3 onward is a new thing. It is how the God who is love responds to evil. Like God's holiness, then, his wrath is not something that sits awkwardly next to his love, nor is it something unrelated to his love. God is angry at evil because he loves. I know that might sound strange, um, but think about this. Do we really want a God who is not angry at evil? Let me give you another illustration that's going to help us think about this. Imagine this scenario. An evil man breaks into someone's house. That man kills the man who owns that house, the father and the husband, and he takes the wife and children hostage. But somehow the wife breaks away for a moment, and she's able to, to call the police, <clears throat> and she tells them, Oh, please help me. A man has just killed my husband. Now he's holding me and my children hostage. Please come and help us. And the police officer hears this and he responds, Oh, um, well, you know, we, don't, we don't really care. Uh, we're kind of busy right now and um, we're actually just uh, doing some other things. We're uh, playing some video games right now. And, you know, just, just love on the guy. Just love him. You know, we're, you'll be fine. Okay, bye. Now, that would be horrifying. And I want you to think about this. Would that police officer's response to this man's evil actions really be loving? Did he really love this woman and her family? And what if God responded to evil in this way? If evil just happened and he said, well, I'm just loving, so, you know, that's, that's okay. I'm just going to love that guy. Imagine this same scenario. But the woman gets the police on the phone. She's telling them all this, this evil that this man has done. He's killed my husband. He's holding my children hostage. But now, instead of the officer not caring, he gets excited. And he says, oh, wow, you know, all right, I'm coming right over there. But I'm not coming to help you. I'm coming to help the other guy because I love evil. This is going to be great. And that would be even more horrifying. What if God, in, instead of hating evil, what if God loved evil? And what if God responded to evil in that way? That is not, not a God I want. That is not a God, not only not a God I want to worship, I don't want that God to exist. Now let's think of this same scenario a third time. But instead, the woman calls the police, she tells the officer what has happened, and the officer gets mad. He gets angry, he gets enraged. He is vexed. And he says, look, Listen to me, ma'am. We're coming over right now. We're going to rescue you and your family. And we're going to take this man down. We're going to make sure this evil man never sees the light of day. Come on, boys, let's go. And that's the kind of response that we want to hear. That's the kind of response to evil that, that I want to see. Someone who cares that evil is being done and someone who wants to come and stop it and bring justice. And that is what the wrath of our God is like. God cannot see evil and be apathetic about it. He hates evil, and he wants to bring it to an end and bring about justice. I don't think we want a God who doesn't care about evil, but we want one who hates evil and will do something about it. 
But now this puts us in a dilemma. Because we're all evil. We're all sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verses 9 to 12 said, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does, does good. There is not even one. But this is how much God the Father loves us. That in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we deserve God's wrath, God was willing to pour out that wrath on His Son instead. And He was willing to accept the sacrificial death of Jesus as a propitiation to satisfy His wrath against our sin. And furthermore, this is how much God the Son loves us, that, that He was willing to be sent. And God the Son was willing to become that offering which satisfies the wrath of God. When Jesus died on the cross, all the wrath of God which we deserve for our sin and our evil was poured out on Jesus. And He was willing to sacrifice everything. He was willing to give up His very life and to experience the Father's fierce anger against sin so that sinners like us could be forgiven and have eternal life. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says, By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. Now that was the purpose that God had, or the, the ultimate goal, was so that we can have life, so that we can have eternal life. This mention of life here, as I'm sure that you probably know, is, is not just talking about our present life. I mean, if we're sitting here today together, we're alive, right? But this is talking about spiritual life, eternal life. And John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So to have eternal life is to know God. And also, along with that, we receive forgiveness of sins. We're given the righteousness of Christ. We're made right with God. We're adopted into His family. He gives us new spiritual life. He sets us free from the power of sin. And He gives us the hope of heaven that we will one day live forever with God in perfect joy and perfect peace. This was the end goal of the Father sending His Son into the world. He sent His Son that we might have eternal life. And this is how much God loves us. He sacrificially gave His most precious gift, His Son, to be our propitiation, to satisfy His wrath, so that we could receive forgiveness and eternal life. And John, so John, after all of this, John says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another because of this great, the greatest act of God's love, the giving of the Son. We should also love one another. So now how should we as Christians properly live out this love and, and express this love to one another? I mean, we could think of many practical ways. It could be in small things. It could be fixing a coffee for somebody. Um, it could be giving somebody a ride to church or the grocery store. It could be bigger acts of love. Um, and, and we could mention many of those, but I think it boils down to this. We are to love one another in just the same way 
that God has loved us. Well, what is that? That's everything that we just went through. Our love should not be a matter of talk only. We should not just say, I love you, although we should say it, but we should do something about that love. We should act and, and be loving toward others. Our love should be generous. Our love should be giving, and we should give our best to others, not only our leftovers or something we might have thrown in the garbage or, or whatever it might be, but we should give our best for others. Our love should be selfless. It should seek the good of other people, just as God was working for the, the good of us and for our eternal life through the sending of the Son. We should, we should love others by doing things that will be for their benefit. Our love should also be sacrificial. If we want to love like God loves, we must be willing to make sacrifices for the good of others because sometimes it, it may cost us to do something loving, but we may have to give up something that we want in order to, to do something good for someone else. And not only this, but if we really want to love like God loves, we should love those who actually don't deserve our love, just like God loved us who sinned against him, who broke his law, who deserve his wrath. We should also be loving toward others who really don't even deserve it. And I'll make this a last point, and this is, this is what I'll close with. Christians should love one another because when we love one another, we display God's love to the world. <coughs> John thirteen thirty five. Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Christians, friends, church, we should love one another, number one, because God is love. And because love is the natural result of loving God, love is also the evidence that we truly belong to God. And we should love one another because God loves us and because he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life. And we should love one another because through our love for one another, God's love is displayed to the world. So I want to just circle back real quick to this idea of God, of God loving us so much that he was willing to to punish his son instead of us who deserved it. And, um, and God, uh, as I said, when Jesus died on the cross, he was, not just, um, he was not just dying for no reason. It was actually part of God's plan. And when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself. And when he died on the cross, he suffered and took the full wrath of God that we deserve so that we can be forgiven of our sins. He died in our place. And I just want to give a quick invitation. I know many of you, probably all of you in this room, have already received uh, Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Uh, but maybe there's someone online, or maybe there's someone here who hasn't. I'm not going to call you to come up to the front, but I just want to uh, give you the opportunity now, if you've never received Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've never put your faith in Him, and, and trusted in Him for your salvation, if you've never received what He's done on, done on the cross for you, uh, which is we receive by placing our faith in Him, then I want to give you an opportunity 
to do that today. Again, John 3.16 says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his Son to the whole world, but only those who believe receive the benefits of what he's done for us. Only those who believe receive eternal life. And if today you want to believe and you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, receive God's love and receive eternal life, I just want you to bow your heads right now and repeat this prayer after me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that He rose again for my justification. I place my faith in You today. I trust in You only to save me, only through Jesus Christ. And I ask You today to come into my heart and fill me with Your Holy Spirit and help me to live for You. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Father God, I just want to close by praying for this church, God, for Freedom Church. Everyone who has heard this message today, whether here or online, God, we thank you so much for your great love. I pray you would drive these truths deep down into our hearts, God. I pray you would fill us up afresh with your Holy Spirit and with your love, God. Let your love surround us. Let your, your presence, God, be made manifest and made known in our lives, God. And let us just have full assurance today, God, that if we love others in the way that, that you love us, God, that we are seeing the fruit of our salvation and that we truly do know you and that we truly do belong to you, God. May you bless this place, God. May you bless these people. And we just thank you, God, uh, that you are our God and that you are a loving Father that you sent your son who loved us. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Great job, Matt. I guess that uh, Matt just scripturally proved to you that, you know, your good works, you're going to church every Sunday, you're... Uh, you know, um, teaching Sunday school does not save you. Only through God's uh, Son is His wrath halted. So, you know, Matt just scripturally proved that in a powerful way. It was excellent, Matt. And God bless you. And uh, God bless everybody out there. If you don't know who this is, this is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches in South Florida. Tune in next week, freedomchurchpb.org. And um, at 10 a.m. and Thursdays at 7.15. So um, we preach the full gospel here, and we love Jesus Christ with all of our heart. And by loving Jesus with all of our heart, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we love the Father with all of our heart. So thank you, and God bless. We love you all. <laughs>